Hello, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day to attend my talk. Uh, the talk is entitled Big to, uh, The Great Hoodie Project, Big Tobacco, Big Tech, and the Threat on Academic Integrity. Uh, this work was done, as Jamie stated, as a graduate research fellow at the Center for Ethics here in collaboration with my brother at Harvard Medical School. Uh, since we are talking about conflicts of interest and academic integrity, in the spirit of full disclosure, I need to you know, state that I, myself, and a bunch of my family members have also interned or you know, been employed by Big Tech, so there is a past financial connection there. Uh, but the majority, you know, my academic funding's uh, funding comes from the Government of Canada, the Vector Institute, the University of Toronto, and the Center of, uh, for Ethics. So nothing directly from Big Tech. So um, I just wanted to start off with a disclaimer because um, dispel any sort of myths or anything. Uh, so for those of you from computer science or Big Tech, thank you for coming to the talk. I wanted to preface the talk by stating that the points I raise are a lot more nuanced than just Big Tech bad. Um, that is, I aim to show that even if all of the researchers are 100% well-intentioned, big, uh, big tech still has the ability to manipulate and affect the research being done uh, and, and the institutions doing this research. So that being said, our work does assume that all active researchers are well-intentioned, so we will not be naming and shaming any researching, uh, researchers. Uh, all naming and shaming is reserved for industry executives and certain attorneys. Um, we'd also like to state that uh, we understand that not all funding is necessarily bad uh, and not all work resulting from bad funding is necessarily bad. For example, it is very appropriate for technical funding to occur. So for example, if there is a researcher working on how to best optimize some GPU algorithm, then it makes sense for NVIDIA or you know, some sort of company that works on GPUs to fund this research. What we're going to be focusing on and what we think is, so we think that the financial dependence of AI ethicists and the field of AI ethics on big tech can constrain and warp the type of research being done here. So we're focused on the funding of AI ethicists and not like the Wired article claimed as the funding of AI as a, uh, of a, as a field uh, yeah, in its entirety. So just something to um, point out there. Yeah. Uh, so. For those of you that might not be able to make it to the end of the talk, because some people do drop off, I'm going to start with the solution. And I think that in order to reduce the risk of influence by big corporations, uh, what we should do is similar to how bioethics is spun off from biology and medicine. AI ethics should be spun off from AI and should be its own separate department or separate field. Uh, by separating AI from AI ethics, uh, it will enable corporations to continue funding technical research. So we're not threatening the quality or the amount of research being done by institutes like the Vector Institute, but it will also enable society to maintain you know, influ industry influence free. I mean, yeah, the study of ethics will be free from industry influence. So motivation, uh, very quickly, I'll go over the motivation. So we know, you know, as a field, there's increased, increasing interest in developing and deploying smart algorithms, uh, you know, AI, machine learning, whatever you want to call it into every aspect of our lives. And we know that with this deployment, there's growing concern about the effects and the moral ramifications, the societal impacts, uh, so on and so forth. So AI ethics, AI fairness, whatever you want to term the field, has been tasked with solving the issues arising from some such development and you know something that we've noticed was that um a large portion of the work being done was being done by these big companies and we wanted to and we found that sort of suspicious uh and you know we, we had some worry and it was troubling to us why is a lot of this research being done by these companies um the reason that we found it suspicious is best demonstrated by an analogy so uh, imagine if there was a health policy conference with 10,000 attendees approximately, you know, largely funded by Big Tobacco, and among the many topics discussed in this conference was how to best deal with the negative effects of increased tobacco usage. Would this be acceptable in the health policy field, like as, as an academic field, would this be acceptable? Um, clearly not. Uh, I think instinctively, most of us would say, no, this is unacceptable, but in fact, it's against the World Health Organization's framework and convention 
Convention on Tobacco Control. So they state that public health policy, those developing and implementing public health policies with respect to tobacco control need to proactively act to protect these policies from commercial and other vested interests of the tobacco industry according to national law. Why is this the case? Simply put, uh, a lot of research has shown that even well-intentioned well -intentioned researchers can be manipulated by big tech either uh, by redirecting their research to uh, something that is less hurtful to their bottom line or manipulating uh, the type of research being done, warping it, using it to sow doubt in the public's mind. And for this reason, generally speaking, Big Tobacco is not accepted uh, as a funder of uh, health research. But you know, now imagine if we replace health policy with machine learning, we replaced Big Tobacco by Big Tech, and we replace the negative effects of increased tobacco usage with the ethical concerns of increased AI deployment, would this not be accepted? And uh, you know, this isn't even a hypothetical. The, the largest conferences are, you know, 10,000 plus entities, largely funded by big tech. And among the variety of topics is they discuss is the ethical concerns of increased AI deployment. So for some reason, it appears that this it appears that this conflict of interest is less troubling for academia than that of public health and big tobacco. And while certainly the example is tongue-in-cheek, is our confidence or is our lack of interest in this conflict of interest justified? Should we not be worried? So at this point, I'd like to introduce something. Since this article was published in Wired, uh, Wired did provide some counter viewpoints. So I'd like to respond to them here, and this will be always done under common criticisms. So the first common criticism is that people know who pay them. Um, and it's unfair to assume that someone funded by a company cannot be critical of big tech. And several researchers who work at these tech companies are critical of their employers. So this is factually a true statement. However, the idea that you know a conflict of interest is okay just because it's disclosed seems to be a uniquely computer science phenomenon. Um, a conflict of interest simply is a sign of a bad thing happening and disclosing it just shows that something bad is happening, it doesn't actually do anything to fix the conflict of interest. So either this is, you know, a poor knowledge about the history of how conflict of interest how have, you know, historically affected academia by looking at fields such as, you know, public health and big tobacco, or a, you know, an increased falsely perceived sense of self-ability to correct for biases that, you know, once we know that they're funded by big tobacco, we'll definitely be able to adjust uh, what we and take from the text and we'll be able to notice when we're being played. And uh, this is something that, you know, it's not founded in the research and as someone who works partly in the healthcare setting, uh, it's quite stark how, this, how conflict of interest is simply viewed. Uh, for example, consider foundation for a smoke-free world. The clear, uh, the name is clearly uh, anti-big tobacco. Uh, if you go to their, this organization and you look at the top two pieces, the top piece is, you know, tobacco companies must do more. And the second top piece is contradictions and conflicts. This was, you know, on Monday when I was creating the slides. Um, so clearly their articles are also anti-big tobacco, but any public researcher, public health researcher or policy researcher is worth their salt would refuse to touch anything uh, from this foundation because its largest donor is big tobacco. In big tech, we believe for some reason that we should first see the work before judging if it has been corrupted. Whereas the rest of academia views a simple interaction with big tobacco or industries that work, that have a profit motive in whatever field we're working in as corrupting. So again, you know, the idea that we are researchers are able to tell when we or the field that we are in is being manipulated is refuted by history and studies upon studies. But you know, maybe it's an incorrect analogy to compare big tobacco to big tech and uh, there is some truth to that that are not exactly the same. Big tobacco largely, I think most people agree, is a net negative on society, while big tech largely is a net positive on society. So this is something that I would agree with as well. Uh, however, you know, 
the defense of big tech doesn't come from the fact that it's large, largely a net positive, but rather that they believe that uh, the people in these companies are aspiring to be better and they have the social benefit uh, social benefit as a goal for their for this company, and while this might be true on the personal level, and I can personally attest to this, the you know ninety nine point nine percent of people that I've interacted with at these companies are you know very socially minded. They want the best for the world, so on and so forth. Without a doubt, these corporations and their executives are not. So as an entity, we cannot trust that they want social benefit social benefit as a goal. And allow me, you know, indulge me in another tongue in cheek example. But, uh, you know, we know how Facebook was used to enable the genocide of the Rohingya people. Um, say this was a mistake and, uh, you know, they did everything they could and it was used against them. Um, but, you know, this happened and now they're going to try to fix it, right? They'll take all possible steps to try to make up for the wrong. Is this, if you were truly socially minded as a company, would you not agree that this would be the right thing to do? You know, apparently not. Facebook refuses to comply with the Gambia's request for information that they did currently store because uh, for some reasons they say that they're asking for too much information. You know, maybe this is true and it's too costly to provide all of this information, but then at least they dedicate many resources to stop it from happening again. No, and you know, no, uh, but if, you know, there's worries about genocide uh, in Ethiopia that's being, you know, fueled by Facebook, same thing in India and the recent, uh, piece published in BuzzFeed News uh, is a, shows that basically they would not act on anything unless uh, they thought it would affect their bottom line and, you know, their profit more. Maybe other big tech, maybe just, just Facebook, you know, it's a bad company. Maybe other big tech companies would have a stronger reaction to genocide. You know, evidently, evidently not. Uh, despite being implicated in using forced labor of the oiler population in China, these companies still continue to contract jobs with the same implicated suppliers for constantly new products. So clearly their motivation for profit outweighs not participating in genocide. How can we then, you know, with a straight face say that their profit for, their motivation for profit is not above trying to influence the development of the ethics of AI into something that is aligned with their profit motive. So this is what we're going to try to explore. The previous example obviously could have been cherry picked coincidences and it certainly was not a rigorous examination of the actions of the industry as a whole. Moreover, we have no uh, insight as to their motivation. So in this work, we're going to investigate whether the analogy of comparing big tech and big tobacco is accurate. And we're going to do this by drawing parallels between both their histories and their actions. Everything can be found in this paper. Link is here. I think it's also linked in the YouTube description or will be. Uh, the methodology that we do is a, it's a comparative study and we'll show that the overlap between their actions is so great that there is cause for concern. So how does funding work? Uh, in this work, we're Again, I'd like to stress that we're only talking about the funding of AI ethicists. So we're not talking about the funding of technical folks, uh, you know, working on foundational technical contributions. We're talking only about the AI ethicists. Uh, we're also, when we use the word term funding, we're using indirect and direct relationships. So this image here on the right sort of represents possible fundings. It's originally from big tobacco work, but uh, still applies to this day with big tech. Uh, and yeah, indirect and direct both to institutions and to researchers directly. So what does big tech mean? Uh, we've been talking about big tech without explicitly mentioning who they are. Admittedly, the label of big tech is hard to pin down. It's unclear what makes a company big and what makes a company tech. For I mean, example, you know, is Yahoo still big? Is Disney a tech company? Uh, so this is not a definitive list, uh, but through conversations with other academics, we found that this list was, you know, had the least kind of people saying that, oh, I disagree with your list. So this is the list that we went to. These 14 companies are what we used uh, when looking at the funding of big tech. We believe that 
this is quite a conservative list and that you could add other companies, but adding more companies would only help strengthen the conclusions that we draw in this paper. So we were okay with going more conservative. So let's start with a history lesson. So in 1954, there was a large and pronounced decrease in the demand for Big Tobacco's product. This was in part caused by a 1952 article published in Reader's Digest, which was relatively accessible to the public, entitled Car Cancer by the Carton, which discussed the scientific links between smoking and lung cancer. At this point in time, when this piece was published, Big Tobacco, from internal documents, knew that these links existed and they were true, but they also realized that publicly admitting it would result not only in legislation, but litigation and decreased profits. So instead, what they did was employed a PR firm to help deal with the backlash. What did this PR firm tell them to do? Well, the PR firm decided that they, uh, they should push a full page advertisement in the New York Times entitled A Frank Statement to Cigarette Smokers. This statement disputed that the links were not conclusive. This is something that they, they internally knew was a lie, but they still pushed it. They also stated, and I quote, they accept an interest in people's health as basic responsibility paramount to every other consideration in our business. So what they're saying is that health matters over profits, also clearly a lie. In addition to pushing the statement to, you know, kind of act like a social actor, like, you know, we care about the social good, they also created the Tobacco Industry Research Committee, which would be later renamed to the Council for Tobacco Research, with the intended goal of providing financial support uh, for research by independent scientists into tobacco use. So, important to note here that if there was no litigation, and this litigation happened decades after, this is all we would have seen. And, you know, that the press release would say this, the newspapers would cover, oh, look how good they are, this is what they're doing. But after litigation, and this litigation happened large, uh, the, the one that gave us the documents that I used in this uh, paper happened in the state of Minnesota in the late 90s. So that's 40 years after uh, this piece was published, showed, showed that you know while the publicly stated goal was to fund independent research, internal documents later revealed that you know it was to sow doubt into the public's minds about the, how strong these links between smoking and cancer was. And that they also showed that, uh, yeah, that they purposely funded academia not to pr progress science, but rather to change how uh, to change how policy was being done in order to affect legislators. So, you know, we don't have any such lawsuit for big tech yet, and therefore we have no insight as to their motivation. So we're only able to compare their service level action. If we summarize the history lesson, something bad happens, a lot of negative public opinion, you hire a PR firm, the PR firm tells you to lie, say that your you know, social good is the most important thing, and that you pump money into academic research. Let's see how this compares to big tech, right? So first thing, start with the declining public opinion. We have that, the decline was caused by various scandal, highlighted, most people would agree, it's highlighted by Facebook, it's a revelation that it was used in 2016 by foreign agents to influence the US elections. Google's may have been, you know, Project Maven or Project Dragonfly, it's unclear. Um, we don't have proof that they hired a PR firm, but it tends to be industry practice. But whether or not they hired a PR firm, um, the response was the exact same. The first thing they do was to lie and say that, you know, it's clear now that we didn't do enough and that we didn't focus enough on preventing abuse and thinking how well people could use these tools to do harm. This is despite internal emails leaked showing that, you know, for example, in Facebook's case, that they were aware of companies breaking Facebook scraping policy, explicitly naming Cambridge Analytica, and they just didn't do anything because they, they didn't think it would affect the bottom line. So this statement is highly reminiscent of Big Tobacco statement and other companies have the same sort of, you know, we are trying to do our best, we really care about you, which is as internal documents over internal documents when they get released show that this isn't really the case. And then after 
they do the statement, they also start pumping pumping money into researchers and research centers. So big tech has, you know, we care about this and they start pumping a ton of money. The question then becomes, is this funding any different from that of big tobacco? How is academia ensuring that these funds don't act as a way for them to manipulate uh, the research being done? And is this money capable of manipulating the research being done? So this is where we encounter our second common criticism is that, you know, showing this coincidence, you know, this is all circumstantial evidence. It's not an indictment of ill will. So, you know, you can make a capitalist argument that uh, these companies making these statements and investing this money is good for, com it's good uh, in the general, uh, it's, yeah, it's good in general that it, uh, for companies to pursue ethical technologies. And this person thinks that this is something that many of them actually strive to do. There is no doubt that, you know, this may be true. Uh, the issue, I think, uh, since most of us grew up in, especially if you grew up in the West, um, you have, whenever you hear the word big tobacco, it's it's sort of, you know, ooh, it's a bad thing. So I think when someone's making a capitalist argument uh, to try to prove good intention, replace whatever it is with big tobacco. So, you know, if we say that, uh, you know, you can make a capitalist argument that it's good for tobacco companies to pursue safer tobacco products, and this is something that many of them strive to do. Would this be accepted? You know, instinctively, the answer is no. Uh, you cannot trust these companies. You know, the example about the genocide, the internal documents being leaked, these companies just simply can't be trusted. Furthermore, the idea that, um, you know, it's good for companies to pursue ethical technologies kind of assumes that ethical technologies is well-defined and currently the term ethical technology is not well-defined. Uh, so since the term is not well-defined, we risk having the definition of what ethical technology is, the scope that it covers, um, you know, arbitrary limits on what can and can't be under this jurisdiction or what is, is not a reasonable solution to be defined by big tech. So, uh, and there's previous work that shows big tech has a very specific definition of, you know, AI ethics that doesn't really line up with society, it, it sort of draws from a lot of the culture in Silicon Valley, the, the, major, the majority of us who aren't there would not agree with. So uh, just because they want something doesn't mean that they're not going to also try to change what the rest of us are going to think. So why would you fund, uh, why would big tech fund academia? Why would big tobacco fund academia? There's two main reasons here. One is that, you know, you actually want to benefit from progressing the field, you know, we'll give them that. And the second is to influence the development of the field in a direction friendly to your profit making. So we'll assume that they actually have, we'll assume that they have the first goal for sure. And um, how does, how, how do you influence the field in a direction friendly to profit making? So previous studies in big tobacco showed that um, the way that they are able to influence fields is by through four main steps. The first one is to reinvent uh, yourself in the public image as socially responsible, to influence the events and decisions made by funded universities, to influence the research questions and plans of individual scientists, and the discover the receptive academics who can be leveraged. So now we need to ask if, you know, funding AI, if funding AI ethics results in big tech achieving the same goal, the same four goals, does it matter if you can prove intentionality? If by funding our centers and our professors, big tech is able to do all of these four, how can we trust them not to try to manipulate or, you know, change the development of the field in a direction friendly to their profit making. And we'll show that they are able to achieve these four and therefore they cannot be trusted uh, uh, because they have incentives to try to push whatever the rest of us view as AI ethics or you know fair computing or whatever you wanna call it into a direction that is friendly to their profit making that doesn't challenge the systems in place that they need in order to continue making money. 
So we'll cover the first reason. The first reason is to reinvent yourself in the public image as socially responsible, basically a PR campaign. And this is, you know, I, I don't even think I really need to, sh I'm showing this for academic completeness, but I think everyone you know knows that this is the case. Uh, for example, it's clear that when Big Tobacco faced backlash and decline in product, first thing they did was hire a PR firm. The idea of funding research and creating research centers was actually the idea of the PR firm. And um, these research centers were purposefully created to appear impartial uh, on the research that they were doing. So these centers would go out of their way to recruit distinguished scientists to gain academic prestige. And generally speaking, you know, it worked. The press releases would say, you know, here we, you know, we have a, all of these big names signed on to our thing. They're going to hold us accountable. Um, and, you know, press release after press release would, uh, you know, trumpet how many millions of dollars that they ended up spending and how many papers were published as a result of their funding. But, you know, um, terrain on this parade, this is all we would have seen from the public facing action. And this is all that we see with big tech. But if you look at, you know, stuff that is, uncovered after the litigation, we see that the funding procedure was not transparent to external bodies. And although millions of dollars truly were given to academics, the majority of research was unrelated to the health effects of big tobacco, i.e. usually simple cancer research. And this was purposeful because they wanted the ability to say that they fund a lot of research without that research having the ability to harm the company's bottom line. Furthermore, it was later revealed more lawyers and scientists were actually involved in distributing the money and that the lawyers were aware of what would and wouldn't hurt the company's bottom line. And it was on this kind of, you know, it was on this thing that they would make the decisions. Uh, and then during more trials, uh, it, as an example to how they use this for positive PR is that during trials, for example, there was one um, about a cigarette product liability trial, a list of all of the uh, universities and medical schools supported by the grants from the Council for Tobacco Research was presented to the jurors in order to convince them that these companies truly had the public's interest at heart. Now we want to see if funding academia benefits big tech in, in a similar manner. That is, does funding academia allow big tech to get, get you know, good PR? And we see that this is the case. There's way too many examples to actually name. So I'm just going to go over two. And uh, you know, in 2016, the Partnership on AI to Benefit People and Society was established to study and formulate best practices on AI technologies and study AI and its influences on people and society. Despite sounding rosy, the reality on the ground was much darker. So reports from those involved demonstrated how neither prestigious institutions like MIT nor civil, civil liberty groups like the ACLU had any power in the direction of this partnership. They practically ended up serving as a legitimating function for the big tech companies who were providing the funding for this partnership. Clearly this satisfies the goal that we're trying to prove, but let's give another one. We rained on Facebook a bit, so now we'll rain on Google or Alphabet. Uh, each of these companies has been working on their own PR campaign. It's not enough just to be grouped up with the rest of them. You know, Alphabet faced massive internal and external backlash regarding their military work, which prompted them to create and later disband an external advisory council uh, because of a public backlash, uh, you know, regarding that public external advisory council. It's not, not clear how external advisory council can be. If you pick everyone and you have the ability to fire them at will and you disband the entire council, not sure what external means to them. But anyway, um, the thing to note here is that they, 
by promising, you know, we're not going to do any more work for the military. They gained a lot of PR, but internally in a piece published by The Intercept, they actually showed that they, Google does continue their military work. They just do it by providing data and engineers to military startups that they fund through their venture capital arm, uh, Gradient Ventures. So this isn't actually something that they care about. It's just something that they did for the PR. So also just like Big Tobacco used its funding of academia and legal proceedings, Big Tech has also used funding of academia in the same setting. So two easy examples of this is in Zuckerberg's testament to Congress, testimony to Congress during the Cambridge Analytica scandal, he would say that, you know, don't worry, we will hire or we will use independent academics to have oversight on their company and what they do, you know, how these academics would remain independent after being chosen by Facebook, likely getting some sort of competition by Facebook and Facebook having the ability to get rid of them is unclear. Another example is, you know, um, Google, like, always boasts about how many research papers they publish every year, you know, uh, and I think this is 2018 or 2019, uh, they are boasting about how they release more than 75 research papers on the topic of responsible AI in a single year to demonstrate social responsibility. This is despite, you know, their arm's length involvement in military-minded companies. So clearly we have shown that, you know, funding academia helps big tobacco and big tech appear socially responsible. Again, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but if you're, if, the funding of academia enables all of these four reasons, then we have reason to worry that the field is currently being manipulated by big tech. So the second reason is to influence the events and decisions made by funded universities. So we're going to explore how, you know, this funding allows this kind of influence to happen. We'll start with Big Tobacco again uh, in this great book, Smoke and Mirrors. If you haven't read it, it's a very quick read. It's not that long, uh, but it has been shown um, by funding academia, Big Tobacco gained undeserved influence in the decision-making process of universities that are dependent on them. A uh, very blatant example of this, very close to home, is that Imperial Tobacco withheld its previously consistent funding to the annual University of Toronto Faculty of Laws Conference as retribution for the fact that University of Toronto law students were vital in getting charges laid against Shoppers Drug Mart for selling tobacco students to a minor. Shoppers Drug Mart at the time, and I think still is, largely owned by a tobacco, big tobacco company. And a spokesperson from Big Tobacco, I think Imperial Tobacco, stated that you know students were biting the hand that feeds them. Uh, so this is one way of very aggressively influencing events. And this way results in a lot of backlash. So uh, companies have you know tended to employ more subtle ways of influencing the events that happen at universities and research centers. And this is by planting or recruiting friendly actors in academia. So two examples of this, again, really close to home is, you know, the former president and dean of law at the University of Toronto was a director of Amasco, which is a big tobacco company. Uh, so when a large percentage of your net worth is tied up in tobacco stock and, you know, there's a clear worry that what you're going to end up pushing or the device that you give is going to be tainted in some way. Uh, another example is uh, Robert Parker, who was the president and chief spokesperson for the Canadian Tobacco Manufacturers Council, was also on the board of uh, Board of Women's College Hospital. Clearly, again, uh, when you have such deep ties with big tobacco, it's going to influence the sort of decisions that you can make or the sort of things that you can push for. So there's also studies that show that, if, that even funding by big tobacco indirectly and very subtly affects the the quality of research being done. More specifically, there's work that shows that events sponsored by Big Tobacco, such as symposiums or workshops held on, you know, the effects of secondhand smoking are of lower quality and skewed results. This is without this is without doubting the integrity of researchers participating. The very fact that this conference is funded by Big Tobacco was shown to provide uh, 
uh, you know, lower quality results. We can't even do this sort of comparison in big tech because there doesn't exist a, conf a conference that isn't in part funded by big tech. So uh, it's sort of troubling, but let's just consider big tech and let's consider whether or not funding academia enables them to influence academic events. So to do this, we're going to first look at the funding of two large conferences. So the first one is NeurIPS, which is the Neural Information Processing System. Um, this is, you know, a large, basically the largest um, machine learning AI conference and large, mostly foundational research, but they do talk about AI ethics in it and they have, you know, AI ethics workshops, so on and so forth. But we'll also talk about, you know, FACT, which is fairness, accountability, transparency, uh, which this year was supposed to be held in Toronto. And this is purely an AI ethics fairness conference. Uh, and we'll see whether or not the same issues uh, apply. So, Looking at NeurIPS funding from the year of 2015, they've had always at least two big tech sponsors at the highest tier of funding. Um, this is something that has also carried over to their workshops where over the past five years, the only ethics related workshop uh, that NeurIPS didn't have, at least one organizer who was funded by Big Tobacco was 2018's Robust AI and Financial Services Workshop, which instead had four heads of AI branches at big banks, which you know, speaking of conflict of interest might not necessarily be better. Even if these companies didn't explicitly make any sort of requests or demands of the conference organizers, it's only human nature to, you know, worry that given how much money that these companies are putting into these conferences, that some sort of self-censorship might occur. For example, in wake of the Black Lives Matter protests and the murder of George Floyd, you know, these conferences would put out statements like, you know, a commitment to diversity and we care about Black lives. No doubt this is extremely important and extremely timely, but you know, would they put out something that criticizes one of the conferences? Like, you know, Facebook is currently, um, you know, engaging in genocide and not helping. You know, would they put that sort of critical statement if it meant possibly compromising the funding? We don't know. This it may be the case, it may not be the case, but this is certainly an issue. Uh, and yeah, uh, again, now I'll talk about FACT, which is a fairness AI ethics conference, and it, they have never had a year without big tech funding. So um, they, do, uh, they do have a statement regarding uh, sponsorship and financial support, but it's unclear how they believe that disclosure alone helps to combat or di uh, combat direct and indirect industrial pressure. So this is actually where we arrive at common criticism number three, which is in part related to common criticism number one, which is that, you know, the conferences policy state that sponsors do not have control over the content or the speakers. Those involved with conferences or the conference are careful to disclose potential conflicts of interest. I have no doubt the person saying this believes this and they believe that they're not being influenced in any sort of way. But the research doesn't hold. Uh, for example, if we again go to public health, since we are talking about big tobacco, um, simply disclosing a conflict of interest shows that there is a problem. It doesn't actually do anything to resolve the problem. Copying from that is, uh, you know, quoting from the abstract of this work, you know, they state that bioethical resources should be devoted to the to problems associated with sequestration, which is defined as elimination of relationships between commercial industries and health professionals in all cases where it's remotely, remotely feasible. It's not clear why the conference organizers of these fairness AI ethics conferences simply believe that disclosing conflict of interest is the same as, sol as solving it. How do we know that these conflicts of interest produce no, uh, you know, have no impact on the type of work being presented on what's being accepted or rejected, not saying there is, but I'm just saying the idea that a disclosure is enough um, isn't backed by the research. 
it sort of seems like, you know, that we're claiming that the field of AI ethics or AI ethicists themselves are superior in some way to other ethicists, whether they're bioethicists or some sort of other ethicists, and their either incorruptibility or ability to be able to, without any sort of help, adjust for corrupting influences by industry. And this is, you know, if this is the claim that is that they wish to make, then they need to provide the research for it because the current body of research seems to indicate otherwise. So there's also previous work, although this is not AI ethics, but this just shows that they purposefully influence events at universities and conferences. And this is, um, I'll just read the quote. So as part of a campaign by Google executives to shift the antitrust conversation, which is now shifting back on them if you're keeping track of the latest thing, Google's sponsored and planned a conference to influence policymakers going so far as to invite a token Google critic, uh, Google critic capable of giving some semblance of balance. So it is clear that these exe executives know how to play the game. They know that they have power and they know how to use this power. So it's time to stop acting naive and you know, they're well-intentioned companies and uh, we are able to adjust for it. This is simply not the case. Uh, and we need to uh, make sure that the types of ethics being molded is something that society is shaping and not these corporations are shaping because they have a different motivation from the rest of us. So now that we've shown that, you know, funding academia allows big tech to influence the events either at conferences, uh, at conferences or universities, uh, we're going to talk about how funding of academia gives big tech the ability to influence the research questions and the plans of individual scientists. So again, we'll start with Big Tobacco. So Big Tobacco, when they funded, started their research center, they independent research about cancer and the effects of smoking, so on and so forth. Um, but from leaked internal documents, we know that they actively sought to fund research that placed the blame of lung cancer on anything other than smoking. For example, there's, um, I, I, I cited it in the paper, but basically uh, they funded research that tried to claim that it wasn't smoking that caused uh, the lung cancer, it was owning bird as a pet and their fecal matter is actually what caused lung cancer. Uh, anything that sort of cast doubt into the fact that it was smoking causing lung cancer, they would try to fund. They also opted to steer funds away from exploring the health effects of tobacco to studying basic science and research. And since, um, and you know, one very egregious action that they did was to take out ads to point out the flaws of scientists. So the picture on the right here is a full page ad that I think they took out in a newspaper that attacks Stanton Glantz, who's a public health researcher, I think at UCSF. Uh, and basically this is sort of a way to intimidate researchers to try to uh, you know, get them not to be as anti-big tobacco as they previously were. But even if they didn't do any sort of these egregious actions, the very idea that you know, researchers need to need money in order to do their work. If Big Tobacco is acting as a granting agency, that means Big Tobacco as an agency has the ability to define what is fundable and what is not fundable. So those seeking to do um, research in something in the public health sphere may look to Big Tobacco for funding and in looking to Big Tobacco for funding, they're going to be able to like, you know, Big Tobacco funds this type of research, doesn't fund this type of research. I need to keep my job or I need to get that grant to get the promotion, I'm going to, you know, do the research that they're asking to do. And in this way, Big Tobacco is able to shift the type of research being done. Um, another egregious example that Big Tobacco did was um, they also worked to corrupt governmental public funding agencies. So just reading what's underlined here is basically um, Big Tobacco uh, 
ensured that the labor HHS, which is the US Department of Health and Human Services appropriations continuing resolution will include language to prohibit funding for glance. This is the same Stanton glance that they attacked in the same ad. They didn't really like him for some reason. So it's clear that through intimidation and acting as a granting body, Big Tobacco was able to influence, if not define research questions. So now the question is, does the same thing apply to big tech? And we see that the underlying logic is the exact same. So um, if the majority of researchers view big tech as a possible granting body, a body that will provide them uh, money to do research, then big tech is automatically placed in a position where they are able to either explicitly through, you know, possibly leaked internal documents, pick and choose what they want to be uh, done, like what kind of research they want done. But also, even if it's not, it doesn't even require big tech to be corrupt purposefully. The intentionality doesn't matter. If big tech and Silicon Valley, as previous work has shown, has a totally different idea of what AI ethics is, what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, what's in its purview, what's not in its purview. If as a culture, these companies have this, by allowing them to act as the granting bodies for you know all of society's researchers at large, they're propagating this definition against, you know, without anyone knowing, possibly even they don't know. So in order to see whether or not this was an actual issue, we wanted to see what percentage of researchers actually viewed big tech companies as a granting body or a body that would give grants or money for research. To do this, we examined the, uh, yeah, to do this, we examined the CVs of all of the computer science faculty at these four schools. So University of Toronto, MIT, Stanford at Berkeley, two public, two private, two East Coast, two West Coast. And what we showed was basically that, you know, because the majority of researchers view them as granting bodies by taking money from them, um, they can fund them. These companies can change what ethics functionally means and what solutions are considered and so much more. So when we went through the CVs, we looked for five things. The first thing was, did they work in AI? We sort of, uh, each professor had a list of interests and we sort of, you know, took their disclosure and no need to doubt. If they said they worked in AI, we counted them as working in AI. If they, we also looked, did they work in the ethics of AI? So this was defined as having at least one ethics paper published in the past four years. Uh, uh, we asked, you know, five years now, 2020, yeah. Uh, fac do they, uh, faculty funding from big tech, has this faculty won any awards or grants from any of the companies classified as big tech? Graduate funding from big tech, was any portion of this faculty's graduate education funded from big tech and employed by big tech? Did any, did this faculty any time work for big tech or what, were they employed, whether, you know, it's at a, postdoc or it's uh, they go there in sabbatical or they work there and then they came to uh, academia and the results here is you know not very surprising so i'll explain the graph a little bit on the x-axis we have different groupings of cs faculty so the first one is all of cs faculty the second one is cs faculty only in ai and the third one is the cs faculty in ai ethics on the y-axis the numbers are basically percentages so what we see here is i'm only going to look at uh, cs faculty in ethics is that 58 percent of those working in ai ethics have looked to big tech for money and we're only here looking at um um uh, professor funding. So we're not looking at graduate funding or past employment. This is only funding while you are a faculty member for research purposes. So if 58% of those working on AI ethics are looking to big tech for money, this means that big tech is able to influence what they work on, whether this influence is accidental or whether this influence is purposeful. Uh, if a researcher believes their work is unlikely to get accepted by big tech as a funding body as it is right now, and they need to demonstrate the ability to bring in funding for promotion, then this influence is even greater. Um, we wanted to also to see that this, this graph shows the percentage 
in blue, the percentage of researchers that have in, in any way had some sort of financial relationship with big tech. Uh, this is important to note that we're not claiming, for example, that because you want a Google scholarship during your PhD, this is affecting the type of research that you do. But what we're trying to show here is that big tech has a certain view of AI ethics and repeated exposure to this view will likely result in, a, in some uptake of this view compared to if there was no repeated exposure to this view. So what we're trying to measure here is what percentage of computer science faculty had this exposure uh, to you know, the dominant views of AI ethics uh, as held by Silicon Valley. And what we see here is that you know, basically all of them uh, have had you know, some exposure, if not repeated exposure. And this would result in some adoption by means of you know, subconscious influence if they weren't critically thinking at it, or maybe they were convinced. It, basically, uh, this is not proof that it affects researchers, but it is cause for concern. If 97% of those working in AI ethics have had some sort of interaction with big tech, some financial relationship where big tech gave them money, so it's kind of favorable, then we should worry about you know, how this repeated exposure might affect uh, their future research. So you know, having shown that funding academia does grant big tech the ability to influence research questions of scientists, we'll now um, examine whether or not it helps uh, them discover uh, uh, discover receptive academics who they can leverage. So what do we mean by leverage? Leverage here means um, using academics outside of the academic setting. And this means you know using them in either legislative settings or litigation settings. So in court, either to make the laws or to prevent yourself against lawsuits. And we see big tobacco from leaked documents um, that they would leverage skeptics within academia to sow doubt about the causal relationship between smoking and cancer. The way they would do this is they would find people who they didn't try to convince anyone, but what they would do is find people that had some sort of doubt or skeptics. Often they would try to explicitly look for people that themselves were smokers and they would give them a ton of money and amplify their message. Uh, and um, yeah, and what, and what you end up having, having is that um, uh, they also used, uh, they provided large, they had a large pool of money that they provides to researchers who were willing to testify on behalf of Big Tobacco, often this greatly overlapped the skeptics that we discussed in the last slides. And you know, in Europe, they were aware that people were catching on to conflicts of interest. So there was a concerted effort on behalf of Philip Morris, which is a big tobacco company, to actively search for academics who have who had previously never been connected to big tobaccos that they could leverage to testify in order to gain some sort of um, yeah, in, in, in order to gain favorable favorable rulings. Um, and this whole concerted effort to leverage academics outside of the academic setting was in their internal documents termed the white coat project uh, because you know uh, people that work on in biology wear white coats, white lab coats. And that's why I named my work the gray hoodie projects playing on the stereotype that you know computer scientists wear hoodies. Um, but clearly big tobacco's funding of academia enabled it to leverage receptive academics. So is the same with big tech? Unfortunately, this is true. Um, Eric Schmidt, previously of Google, was you know, advised on which academic AI ethicist his private foundation should fund. So imagine if you have two people applying for the same job, the two people are, you know, imagine they're exact duplicates of each other, but one of them comes with a million dollars of funding from his organization and his viewpoint, and he just happens to hold Eric Schmidt's viewpoint, and this person disagrees with Eric Schmidt's viewpoint, who's more likely to get accepted into the faculty position? And it's going to be the researcher who is funded by big tech. In this way, they're able to, uh, you know, affect hiring decisions. Uh, but also, they're also 
leverage academic in external settings. And the way you do this is, you know, Eric Schmidt asked Joy Ito of MIT's Media Lab. Uh, this was a, a published in The Intercept by next next Tuesday speakers at the Center of Ethics. So, you know, tune in there. But yeah, uh, whether or not they should fund a, cent, uh, a certain professor and a certain professor later uh, served as an expert consultant, the Pentagon's innovation board. So, you know, you're going to pick someone that you think is going to agree with you. You're not going to pick someone who you think is going to disagree with you. So big tech does have uh, undue, undeserved influence. I'm also going to present here uh, a really bad example. I don't like this example, but there's a reason why I chose it. So I'm going to just read it here. So there was a professor at George Mason University who had written academic research funded indirectly by Google and criticized the anti uh, who criticized the antitrust scrutiny of Google before joining the FTC. After he joined the FTC, the FTC dropped their antitrust suit against Google. So there's some, uh, this was provided by the campaign for accountability, and they asked some questions. You know, did Google fund him because of his criticism, or did he, uh, or did he criticize because Google funded him? Did FTC know about his, you know, indirect relation, financial relationship with Google, or possibly like the case in the uh, expert consultant at the Pentagon, was he chosen because of his uh, conflict of interest with Google? It's unclear, and for this reason, I don't like this example, but. The reason I chose to present this example is because Google's response to this circumstantial accusation basically is the reason you should not trust anything from the camp campaign for accountability is because camp the campaign for accountability, though it is a nonprofit, it is largely sponsored sponsored by Oracle. Oracle is another big tech corporation who's currently in the Supreme Court against Google, I think. Um, so, but if you abstract away from that, a big tech company is saying that the results of a nonprofit, you know, someone who's independent should not be taken into account because it is funded by a big tech company. Sort of, you know, I, I think that this is all I need in order for, you could have avoided the last 40 minutes kind of thing. So concluding thoughts. So in the presentation, I believe that I have hopefully convinced you that, you know, even if it's unintentional, big tech is able to reinvent itself in the public image is socially responsible, influence events and decisions made by funded universities, influence the research and questions, the research questions and plans of individual scientists, and discover receptive academics who they can leverage in external settings. And we know that this was a reason that Big Tobacco funded academia. We don't have proof of intentionality for big tech, but do we need proof of intentionality? They have so much power that it does need to be checked, and I don't. I don't believe that we need proof of intentionality, and this is not something we can get without litigation. It's not something that they're willing to provide to us. It's also important to note that before any lawsuits, all the health policymakers had to go on was surface-level evidence provided by Big Tech. I mean, provided by Big Tobacco. So all we have right now is surface-level evidence provided by Big Tech, and this, like you know, exactly mirrors the surface-level evidence provided by Big Tobacco. So. Um, I think that there should be some actions put, but I would like to, you know, restate here that none of the work here, uh, none of the nothing I present here is meant to call the integrity, uh, call to question the integrity of any researcher or researchers as a whole. The way the system is currently set up is that, you know, even well-intentioned professor who, who are, you know, simply seeking career advancement are placed in a situation where, where they are more likely to be influenced by big tech because career advancement is, you know, heavily dependent on the existence of money. So simply choosing not to take big tech's money won't solve the problem because for example, if all of the good, good, you know, I'm not saying that those that take it are bad, but you know, if, if everyone, if the majority of people decided not to take this money 
uh, all this would do is amplify the problem because the person who is going to take this money is going to more likely agree with big tech fees because anyone that disagrees wouldn't have taken this money and then they're just going to get hired and they're, they're going to have their viewpoint pushed. So the solution needs to occur at a higher level. So whether that's splitting AI ethics as a separate department from AI as general, forbidding dual appointments, forbidding direct funding that you can, that, you know, these companies can't fund um, uh, computer science research, they can only give money directly to the government and the government can redistribute it. So, you know, they can fund NSERC and NSERC can choose what, what happens or what doesn't happen or a fieldwide agreement saying that like, you know, they can only pool their money, give this way. There's possible solutions. I believe in the full separation, but you know, uh, something needs to be done and it's up to a discussion to decide what should be done. But there are some clear next steps for academia. The first one is to require all faculty to post complete funding and employment information online. Um, the biggest trouble that we had in the faculty analysis here is that we're only basically able to analyze about 50% of faculty. The major, a lot of faculty don't post any, like, you know, their CVs are either horribly out of date from the last time they tried to get a job in like, you know, the 1980s or um, they simply don't post it online. Also, universities need to work harder to eliminate the relationship between commercial industries and AI ethicists in all cases where it's remotely feasible. I'm basically paraphrasing from the public health policy paper that I presented. There also needs to be a discussion regarding the future of ethics and fairness in the AI field and how the field can interact with the industry. Uh, computer scientists as a field should explore how to actively court antagonistic thinkers. We know right now that we are you know, possibly influenced by big tech, uh, so we need to try to hire people, you know, me, but you know, if I hire people that are trying to actively counter what may be influenced by big tech uh, until that we're able to completely separate the fields. And I'm just going to address one last criticism. Um, in the Wired piece, a spokesperson for Google said the company's policies prohibit staff from funding. Um, uh, yeah, uh, one second, yeah. A spokesperson for Google said the company's policies prohibit staff from seeking to influence academic work. Google's collaboration with academic and research institutions are not driven by policy influence in any way. So if we take that statement by itself, right, we, we can rework it around Google. So, you know, this is another way of saying that Google does not attempt in any way to influence the substance of its grantees. Grantees here mean people that take grants. So Google does not attempt to influence in any way the substance of those who take its grants. Replace it with a big tobacco front. Big tobacco does not attempt in any way to influence the substance of those who take its money. And this is actually what we get in a letter uh, to Dr. Sadler of Imperial Tobacco from an attorney that says at the beginning of the letter, this big tobacco front does not attempt to influence in any way the substance of his grantees. But later on in the letter, um, it says that, you know, the same big tobacco front is a credible and effective vehicle for conducting research that is needed to buttress the industry's position. So maybe the Google spokesperson didn't send the full letter, uh, uh, maybe only sent half of it. Uh, thank you for coming to my talk.